Amen. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Come on, quickly rise to our feet. Let's open to the book of Jeremiah chapter 10. Of course, you know we, we read that a lot. Jeremiah chapter 10. And what we want to do is to fill our air, to fill the heavens around us with the knowledge of God. We are giving our voices, releasing the authority of God into the earth with our voice, our voices. And that's what we do. Jeremiah chapter 10. Now we're going to start from verse 6. Along the line, I may ask you to jump a few verses. Just pay attention. When we jump, you just jump there. All right, one, two, let's go. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name in might. Who will not fear you, O King of the nations? Indeed, it is your due. For among all the wise men of the nations, and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. But they are altogether stupid and foolish. In their delicious of delusion, that idol is bidding silver is brought from Tarshish and go- Jump to verse 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earthquakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Thus you shall say to them, the gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. He made heaven. He established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding he has stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he causes the clouds to ascend from the end of the earth. He makes lightnings for the rain. And brings out the wind from his storehouses. Go on. Every man is stupid, devoid of knowledge. Every ghostmate is put to shame by his idols. For his molten images are deceitful, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of mockery. In the time of their punishment, they will perish. 16. The portion of Jacob is not like this. For the Micah of all is he. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Amen. Amen. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Now before we take our seats, let's take a declaration of understanding that we always do. One, two, let's go. Now I declare. That the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this. I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His Word. The Word is entering my heart. It's giving me light and direction. It's healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. 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 Let me just tell you something. Everyone who's consistent and is paying attention to the word of God, will not be disappointed. Amen. Yes. God will give you an expectation. He will give you something beyond your expectation. Amen. Yes. He will do for you more than you could have asked him for. Amen. You know, there's wild asking. You know what I call wild asking? Senseless asking. Say, what will you want from the Lord? I want to be president of America. You really don't want to be president. You are just talking. But there are things when he says, sit down, ask the Lord for something. He will check and say, no, this will be too great. Not as if you are doubting the power of God. You are just wondering how it can happen. I hope you are getting my point. That's what I'm talking about. 
God will do beyond that for you in Jesus' name. Another thing, you will not see rain. You know what it means not to see rain? You won't see anything happening around to be able to predict what is going to happen. Suddenly, the Lord will do something. When he has done it, you will understand how he did it. But before, you will not be able to predict. Yes, he will do it for somebody listening to me. In the name of Jesus Christ. It is a reward he's going to give for consistency. Yes. For those who truly love the word of God. It says, seek first the kingdom of God. And what? His righteousness. What did he now say? All other things will be added. He also said, those who, he said, blessed are those who what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be what? Filled. That's what he said. Not people think they'll be filled with righteousness. No. That is, God will remove their lack in life. He will remove their thirst. That is, physical thirst. As they are going after righteousness, as they are going after righteousness, God will be removing every lack in their lives. And somebody listening to me today will experience that. Now, you don't have to be physically present. Wherever you are, God understands. Are you getting my point? And you know, in the realm of Israel, there's no distance. The anointing here is there wherever you are. Even if you're in the United States, or you're joining from South Africa, or from Colombia. Is there a Nigerian in Colombia? Just wondering. <laughs> Biafrans. They are everywhere. <laughs> the Lord is good. All right, the Lord is good. You are blessed today in Jesus' name. All right, let's take our seats. Let's quickly get into our teaching for today. Alright, let's continue again. We're looking at the breath of faith. What do we mean by the breath of faith? Is the proof of faith. Is the manifestations of faith. Is the natural outworking of genuine faith. Those things that prove that the faith is alive and is not dead. That the faith is not just mere profession of the mouth, but it's a real thing that exists in our hearts. That is what we mean when we're talking about the breath of faith. And we picked that, of course, from the book of James, and I feel like we should read that again today. There's a particular reason why I want to read it again today, actually. Let's go back there again, James chapter 2. James was explaining something to us here. He said, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? He said, can that faith save him? There is a clear negative answer to that. He said, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. James challenges that person. He says, show me your faith without the works. How are you going to do that? And I will show you my faith by my works. That is the way it is done. That's what he was saying. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. That is, it is not the thought processes in your heart that actually makes it faith alone. That is, you know the genuine faith by what comes out of those thought processes. But are you willing to recognize, verse 20, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? That is, if you claim you can have faith without having works, you are a foolish fellow. That's what James was saying here. Was not Abraham, he was not explaining that, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. That is, faith was shown to be genuine. Faith was completed. He said, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God, 
and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. That is, the works must go with the faith. Now, James was not disagreeing with faith as the basis of justification. Otherwise, he would not have quoted what he quoted in verse 23, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He said, you see, a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And if you read that from the New Living Translation, it says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without works. I said something towards the other time. Let me just say it again. It was just in recent times, I actually finally read this portion in New Living Translation. I did not know. Until recently, they had not read it there before. Because if you read even things, if you read some of my tracks, I released long ago, more than 10 years ago, maybe some of them close to 20 years ago. In fact, the articles I wrote more than 20 years ago, I'm very sure of that, in which I explained this principle, that the word breath, uh, uh, spirit here, that it, what most Bibles use as spirit, actually was referring to breath. And I was drawing on my background, my medical knowledge, to say that must have been the thing. So you can imagine what surprise I had. The day I opened the living translation, and I found that I actually used the word breath. I had not seen any other translation use it. In fact, for more than 20 years, I've been saying it before I finally saw it in the New Living Translation. So, I'm not going to something here. The word there, of course, is pneuma, the same word used for spirit. So, many people use that spirit. But this, man, I mean, this translation was showing to us that James was saying that if the body is alive, it's by breath we will know. So, we're not trying to say that you go and look for something to add to your faith. We are saying if your faith is genuine, the only way you will know your faith is genuine, now listen to this, is by the works it produces. So no matter what you know, you understand? Mental knowledge now. Okay, no matter how vast your spiritual knowledge is, you still have to settle down and watch your life. Anything you are not working by, you don't truly believe. No matter how much information you have loaded into your system concerning it, the information may be there, but it has not yet produced faith in you. That's what they were trying to say. And until it has produced faith, it cannot produce any results from God. It cannot download the power of God. Grace cannot be released because grace is released in accordance with faith. I hope you're getting my point. So what do we do? What you could say, I have information and my life is not actually reflecting what I claim to know. That's what I say all the time. God is real. He's alive. He's with us. That is where prayer comes in. It's the advantage we have as believers in Christ Jesus. You get on your knees and pray. What God will give to you is what is called the spirit of faith. Faith is not information, even though information helps you get faith. There's what is called the spirit of faith. It is possible to hear and not understand. It's possible to see like this and not comprehend what you are seeing and not be able to perceive what is going on. Just as an aside again, you know, before, you know, all of us used to wonder, I don't know about you, but I believe most people actually, used to wonder why did Jesus not bother to just rise publicly for everybody to see? It's now just about the last few weeks and months I finally got the understanding of the reason why. It would have been pointless. It would have been pointless. Just like his death on the cross meant nothing to most people. His physical resurrection there would have meant nothing to most people also. And he said it through Abraham. That is, when he's quoting, he was the one giving the parable, all right, the story. He said that, um, what's the name of that man? Lazarus. Lazarus, thank you. 
Lazarus, after he died, he and the rich man, Abraham said to the rich man, when the, when the, when the rich man in Hades lifted up his eyes and said, please send my brother, uh, send my brother to, send Lazarus to my brothers so that, you know, they will hear his story and repent. And Abraham said, they have the prophets with them. Let them hear the prophets. He said, no, if somebody rises from the dead, it will make an impact. Abraham said, don't worry yourself about it. It doesn't work like that. Is anyone who will not hear the prophets will also not believe even if somebody were to come back from the dead. That was when he hit me. That's why Jesus did not bother. And also, his resurrection body cannot be perceived without faith. I hope you're getting my point. If you didn't know him and have believed in him, if he were to rise up before you, you wouldn't even recognize him. It's not easy to recognize. The resurrection body is a different kind of body. It's a different kind of body. Many of the things you see in science fiction, they're actually based on spiritual truths people did not realize. That's why Jesus has appeared to people in different forms. Jesus appears in different forms. I'm convinced at least, okay, two people here. I'm not, I don't know you, I'm just... I believe there are at least two people here that have met him physically. They did not know. Sometimes he takes it upon himself to give you direction. Sometimes he takes it upon himself to answer some questions in your heart. He did not even know that anybody knew. Of course, nobody knew, actually. But he knew. And he'll just pick up a conversation with you at a bus stop. And he will explain something to you that you wanted to know. And he'll walk away. One of our sisters told me a testimony. Interesting one. She was a very nice you know, Christian girl in secondary school and all of that. They, for certain reasons, she made up her mind. She's tired. She's going to what do we call it, backslide, right? She's going to forsake this way of truth and just like living like, start living like everybody else. And she was walking out, I think, from school, from home that day. And as she stood beside the road to take a vehicle, a man stood on the other side of the road and called her, hey, you, sister, you, yeah, yeah, you. Uh-huh. I just wanted to tell you, that life you have been living is the right life. Don't abandon it. <laughs> she was shocked. Doesn't know the man. You know, you're just standing here. The man was on the other side of the road and called her attention. Are you talking to me? Yes, you. Yeah, I just wanted to tell you something. What? The life you have been living is the right life. Don't abandon it. And the man walked away. You don't believe after that. In fact, if you doubt after that, I wonder how you managed to doubt. <laughs> now, what am I, like I said, that's an aside. So, our faith is important. Let me just get back to where we began from. And we'll have to settle down and check is our faith genuine? That's what we've been doing. Please, this is for self-analysis. This whole series, look at your life. Look at your life. Don't assume you have faith. Don't. I said the other time, it's possible to even have had it, but it has slipped. Faith is not built just because, I mean, it doesn't accumulate because of experience. I've been working this way for the last 20 years, so by now our faith should be big. It doesn't work like that. It is possible that the longer you stay there, the smaller it has become because it's, it's, you know, it just slips away little by little. So you have a duty to check yourself, Paul said, to make sure you are still in the faith. That's why I've been looking at this, all right? So let's continue. Last time we talked about um, faith, of course, which is, I want to use this to review something, then pick it up from there today. Last time we talked about the constraints of faith, that faith puts constraints on us. And it's an important measure of faith in our lives. Faith 
we said, is not measured, actually, by what we acquired by it, even though faith gives us things. Faith produced Isaac for Abraham. I hope you're getting my point. Yes, it did. Faith produced Samuel for Hannah. It did. Jesus would look at somebody and say, daughter, your faith has made you whole. So faith does that. But when God wants to celebrate that somebody really has faith, look at it closely. Abraham was celebrated, not because he got Isaac, but because he laid Isaac down. Do you get my point? God said, by myself I have sworn that in blessing I will bless you. I will make your name great. And he was pronouncing blessings upon him. Why? He had the ability to lay lay Isaac down. It is what you can lay down, really, that shows whether your faith is really genuine or not. We explained that. We saw that Abraham, I mean, his life was a life of laying something down. We often focus on Abraham collected blessings. And blessings were genuine. They are true. They are real. And we are partakers of that blessing today. But how, did, do we, how do we know Abraham's faith was genuine? When God called him to leave, he laid down the, the father's house, left where his father was, and then he moved away. When the time came and he had to let Ishmael go, he laid Ishmael down. When the time came when he had to sacrifice Isaac, he also put Isaac down. That ability to lay things down, is a, I think, is one of the most important signs of faith in our lives. Let's never forget it. Actually, it's the basis of generosity for believers. Faith. Let me say this again. I keep on going back there. Preachers, it is wrong for us to keep using what we will get to motivate Christians. We are not building up their faith. If I, one of the things I want to teach today, if I, that, that, that's the central thing I, I hope to get to today. All right? Is for believers, all right, to be able to live that death life we have been talking about. Dying to self, you know, we'll talk about it. Many times when we are preaching, what we end up preaching to believers is how to live in the flesh, not how to die to self. That is, how do I get more money? Not how do I survive without money? I hope you're getting my point. How do I get more money? We think that's a fundamental thing about faith. No. What faith actually should teach us first is how do I live without it? You know, when God took the children of Israel, he said, Moses was speaking, he said, he made you hungry, then he fed you with manna. Why? He said so that he would know what's in your heart. He said so you will understand something, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God does the man live. You know, that's one of the most powerful, of course, I keep on saying that this is one of the most, of course, every scripture is powerful. Once revelation comes, you see the power in it. All right? You understand my point? Now, the day I understood that, I said, my father in heaven, was this what the Lord was saying? In fact, the other day, my daughter and I were talking. You know, I, you know the other days just feel bad. So, you remember Jephthah? Jephthah said, anybody that opens the door, greet me, burnt offering. So that anybody that opens the, the door and greet me, you hear all my woes. So as I got home, my daughter was the one that came, opened the gate. So she, so she helped me open because the door of my car is a bit difficult to open from inside. It's easier from outside. So she just helped me open the door. She opened like this. I began, I began to tell her all my woes. <laughs> I said this. I said that. She was just looking at me. So I kept on talking and talking. She was just feeling sorry for So that this can feel like this too. You know? At the point I now said... And all these disappointments of human beings, if it's good. I said, do you know why? 
She said, it helps you focus on God. I said, correct. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. I said, yes, that when human beings disappoint you, it helps you focus on the Lord. I said, that's a good side. Now, this is where I'm going. That is a matter of fact. I like one of the immigrants in one of his, in her songs those days. She said, loneliness is not so blue when it keeps my mind on you. I hope you're getting my point. It's so important. So sometimes in life, listen, that's what happens. All these issues, God told Israel, he told them like that. He said, I made you hungry, then I fed you with manna. Of course, that's from Deuteronomy chapter 8. So we just don't want to spend time reading it now. And he said, why? He said, so that you will understand that man does not live by bread alone. You know what? I, be- I-, I believe that is the desire of the heart of God that we actually get to the point where we understand that scripture fully and live like that. You know, the less we understand it, which is the more we are attached to physical means of supplies, the less we experience the power of God. What was God trying to do to them? Let me explain that scripture again. When he says that, what, what, what was he trying to say? The way we used to understand it is simple. At least, man does not live by bread, what? Alone. Which means, before you eat bread in the morning, say, do your morning devotion. You can't be living by bread alone. You've heard the joke of the people who sell, um, is it tea? That they went to the Pope and said, it's a joke, it's a joke. They went to the Pope and said, whether you can just, you know, give us this day our daily bread. That whether you can just put tea inside. Give us this day our daily bread and tea. And that the Pope was looking at them like this. And then in return, they were going to donate maybe like a hundred million dollars to the church. So the Pope got angry. That what kind of nonsense is your money prays with you? You are sending a god of bitterness and the bondage of <laughs> you know, and he talked, and you know, he got angry with them. He drove them out of his uh, office. So as they were leaving, they looked at each other. He said, These bread people, how much did they give him? <laughs> I mean, we brought a hundred million dollars. They can't not agree. <laughs> you had a joke before. <laughs> So many of us, when we say man can only buy bread alone, we are thinking that you have the bread, add butter. What is butter? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is an unconscious. And the reason is because the concept is not very easy to understand. The way it's even you know, written in, in, the, in most uh, versions, you know, man does not live by man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. That the constructs a bit one kind, all right. But so we give it our interpretation, which means you must have. Bread, but you add every word to it. Do you get my point? So now that becomes the foundation, the basis for our discipline in things like um, morning devotion. All right, in studying our scriptures, in bowing our heads to pray when we want to eat. Now, all those disciplines are good and right, but that's not the right reason. Because that was not what he was saying. What was he saying? It's simple bread gives energy. Anything you take in gives energy. I hope you're getting my point. If you're tired, you're worn out, bread, food is given to you, and you are refreshed. He said, I want you to understand that's not the only thing that does it. For example, let's use another example in that life. How do I succeed? I go to school and you know, read, read my book, you know, pass my exams, earn a good degree, and then know people, then get a good job, and get capital, do all of those things. Okay? That's how people get results. 
That's one way. That's also what is called bread. Okay? Let's bear that in mind. Now, that is, what is bread? It represents the natural ways by which we get results. It represents the natural ways by which we are sustained. Let me give another good example. It just came to my mind, all right? If we are sick, we can take medicine. I hope you're getting my point. Coronavirus is going all over the world. People are pushing vaccine, 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 vaccine. That is one way of staying healthy. We want to be fit, we go jogging. We watch our diet. There's a particular diet they call hallelujah diet. I don't know how many of you have heard of it. You have a very dear sister that's into hallelujah diet, and we quarrel all the time. We're always fighting over it. What's the cause of the fight? I say it's blasphemous. Why is it blasphemous? I said, you're making it look like God constructed your diet specially. I said, remove the name Hallelujah from it. Call it anything you like. I, won't co- <laughs> I will not complain. That once you, I said, what is Hallelujah diet? Any diet with which I give thanks before I eat the food. <laughs> anyway, the point I'm making is this. So people go into all kinds of diets to so try and stay healthy. That's what the Bible calls bread. So God wanted to explain to Israel that that's not the only way you are sustained. He wanted to explain to Israel that, listen, whether you have food or not, your life can go on. He went to explain to Israel that whether you have a certificate or not, you can succeed in this life. He went to explain to Israel that whether you are connected or not, you can do well in this life. He went to explain to Israel that whether you have medicine or not, you can remain healthy. He went to explain to them that whether you do the exercises they are seeing and the diet they are seeing, it is possible to remain perfectly healthy. And he proved it along the line. Moses went to see him for 40 days and 40 nights, and Moses neither ate nor drank. Moses came back because of their sins, and he fell down in repentance because of them. He was grieving. Next 40 days and 40 nights, he lay down there. Essentially, 80 straight days, no food, no water, and he was sustained. What sustained him? He was saying, man does not live by bread alone. That bread is not the only thing that helps people to live. I want you to understand that every word that proceeds from the mouth of God has the same capacity. In fact, greater capacity than the bread that you have taken. And I needed you to understand that. Basically, God takes you through difficult situations. Sometimes, he wants you to come to your, to your own end. I hope you're getting my point. It gets to a point where there's nobody you know anymore that will give you money. Savings finished. God, now, just waiting. And the, the earlier you get there, the better. <laughs> because that's where he's going. You now sit down there and you just sit and say, Lord, what do we do? Say, I want you to pray. Then, you know, sometimes he does strange things. There are times that he won't see one dime for the next four weeks. Yet, everyone will be eating. New clothes will be bought. I hope you're getting my point. Everybody will be healthy. Someone will say, ah, maybe your wife will come and say, I have this terrible headache. Say, look, I can't even pay for Panadol. I hope you're getting my point. <laughs> say, paracetamol, I can't pay for it. So, ah, it's well with you in Jesus' name. Before your hand finishes leaving her head, the headache has disappeared. And it's been there for the last four days. Then at the end of one month, when you'll have understood that God is a supplier, and he doesn't always use money. Then he now brings money back. By that time, you've lost faith in money. I don't know whether you're getting my point. So money can no longer hold you, you know, ransom. Nobody can use money to threaten you anymore. God leaves, leaves that landmark for you as a reference. And that's what he was telling Israel. I made you hungry. I fed you manna. Why? I wanted to, you to understand 
that man does not live by bread alone. He said, your, your shoes did not wear out. There was no feeble one amongst you. But how did that come? Was it because of the preparations you made? No. I was trying to show you that this is how life is. One of the things the Lord has been teaching me in, the, in recent years, although I've known it, like as this faith, it sleeps. And also God, as a result of time, he expects your faith to rise higher. If I wrote an article long ago, if I was doing my NYC, I think it was, it was during NYC I wrote this article. So if I imagine that I finished NYC in 93, so you can understand when I wrote it. And what happened was I, I sat in the barracks that day, I served with Nigeria Army. So I, I, I saw one cock land on a line, you know, close line. I've seen it before. It's an interesting sight. You should video it one time, one day. The cock will refuse to go off. That is fly off. And the line will refuse to stay still. And the line cannot stay still. You know why? The cock is on it. And the cock is not agreeing to stay still. So you see struggle. And the cock will now be shouting, getting angry. <laughs> it will be crowing and making a... And he's flapping his wings. So the cock will now be running up and down. And there's a Yoruba proverb like that. Do you know the proverb? You don't know it? I know you know. That's what I didn't want to ask you. I want this man to tell. Okay, what, what's the proverb? Very good. He knows it. <laughs> it's very good for a Lagos man. Lagos we really don't know much of these things. You have to leave Lagos more. <laughs> yeah, it's a proverb like that. Exactly. That is, you know it. No, no, no not my interpreter. And this is interpreting for us. Did you know it? Clinton, did you know it? <laughs> All right, okay. It means that the cock has landed on the line, and neither the cock nor the line is at rest. You understand? So, you think, of course, all of us, if you've seen it before, it's quite dramatic. Now, that day I saw it in the barracks. It just struck me. You know, I went back to my room and wrote a teaching right there. And I titled it, On What Do You Stand? That do you know a small bird, all these small, small birds, like weaver bears, canaries, and all of that, they will land on it, and the line will just be there. The problem is the weight of the cock. And I realize as you grow older as a believer, God expects you to stand on stronger things. I hope you're getting my point. So that's why he said, by reason of use, you are supposed to know some things. By reason of time, you, are, you know, you should no longer be those who are partaking of what? Milk. But what he called what? The meat. Strong meat belongs to people after a while. So God expects believers as they grow. They should have stronger things they stand on. Now, this is where I'm going. So, the Lord has been teaching me some things over time, all right? And one of them, of course, from time I've known that you shouldn't worry about tomorrow, you shouldn't worry about tomorrow. But even in recent times, <laughs> I'm even learning more than before. Not to worry about tomorrow. I don't know what I get my point. Many of the people call planning for tomorrow. Right? If I say you plan, you know, say I'll scatter it. I say, Lord, I'm sorry. One of the characteristics of true faith is careless living. I'm sorry. I have to explain that, I know, but let me say it like that first of all. Too much planning is a sign of lack of faith. Some people won't like it, but I'll say it again. Let me say it one more time. Any long term you plan you have for your life, personally as a believer, you don't have faith. Listen, I expect that to generate controversy. That's what I'm saying it clear. So it won't be like, hey, maybe, like, maybe I was joking when I said I wasn't joking. Look at my face. I mean, I do see my face strong like this. If you have long-term plans, you are walking by, you're not walking by faith. No kidding. You can have long-term desires. So I'll begin my point. Desire and plans are two different things. You can desire that you want to fly with, um, what's the name of Amazon guy? Jeff Bezos. 
and the 82-year-old woman to outer space. He said he's going with a 82-year-old woman. That guy is strong. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Now, you can have such desires. I want to fly with Jeff Bezos to, to the moon. Not a big deal. But you know what? God doesn't want you to pursue it. Yeah. He said, look, boys, listen. <sighs> Some people are already risen up to start arguing with me. Let me just beg you, all right? Don't argue with me. I'm right, you are wrong. Don't worry, you are wrong. I'm correct. You know why? I'm speaking as a prophet and a teacher of the word. So don't even argue with me at all. I won't even try to persuade you because initially I was about to start explaining. And my spirit is about why are you explaining? If you don't like it, log out for today. Join us next week. Miss out all the blessings. But follow me and be blessed. I'm not kidding. I know what I'm, I'm not. Look, listen. I am speaking to you what I know as the word of God. Say, so, Pastor Banky, please, I believe you. But can you just help me understand life a bit? Yes, I will. I said the word long-term. Did I not say that? You know the reason why you can't have long-term plans? Because long-term plans are, belong to the Lord alone. And he does not bless your plans, you receive his own. The mistake a lot of people make, all right, is this. They make plans and give to the Lord, say, bless it. That's not how it works as a believer. You don't make plans for him, you receive his own plans. And most times, you, he, doesn't, he doesn't give it ahead. Let me give you an example. I mean, Bible alone. Let's not talk about modern day, even though modern life has a lot of examples. But let's talk about the Bible. Let's take two men as examples. David and Joseph. Okay, let's look at another fellow, funny human being. Saul, New Testament Saul. Let's just use those three people as examples. All right? Oh, what about Peter? Let's think of Peter also. Let's just look at their lives. First of all, David, young man. Loving the Lord. He didn't, he didn't discover the word of God after Samuel came. I hope you get my point there. You agree with me? Yes. yes. Samuel, he, look, he already loved God before Samuel showed up. So let's just for a moment think about it. What long-term plan could he have had while he was on the field with, with, with the sheep? There are just two things you could have planned about. Common sense. One, how to expand the flock, truffles, and how to produce more music. And it was already, I'm going to record my demo. I booked, you know, and recording sessions at the studio. And we were playing, we were writing the music down. This one should hit. This one will hit. God, oh, please, oh. We'll be able to sell platinum. Are you getting my point? That's all. And you know, if you, had, if you had had faith, that's the kind of thing we'll have planned. In the name of Jesus, let me tie the hands of God with this. A prophet is passing, just carry one sheep, say, this one is my own. My father gave it to me as for my diligence in handling the flock. Man of God, please take. Kill it. Sacrifice one unto the Lord for me as a whole burnt offering. And one as a living sacrifice. That one can follow you. Why? Because I want to make it in this musical career. Assuming the prophet is somewhere. And he had had visions like he had for Saul. Imagine. You know, he will look at him. And start laughing. And he will start laughing. He said. My king, there's no need. Say, ah, sir, did you just call me king? Yes, my king. Sir, I think I'm the only one here. <laughs> you get the point? Let me know. Because there's no point going on with the drama. Listen, 
no long-term plan he will have had at that time will have worked. Not because he's a stupid man, but just because that's not the plan of God. That's all. That's all. Next, who has that mentioned? Joseph. Ah. You know one of the reasons why God doesn't give us long-term plans? is long-term goals for our lives. Because we use human method to try and get there. It's a normal thing with human beings. What we use is human methods to try and get there. For example, Joseph, if they are told him that you are going to be a king somewhere, he will go to the king's school. He will go and study political science and public administration. Well, he didn't say it last time. People say, you need to dream big. He said, did Joseph dream? He didn't dream. Dream dreamt him. <laughs> are you getting my point? He didn't go and say, well, how do we dream? Seven keys to having an effective dream. Sleep on the left side of the bed. That will be a day after the full moon. Stay at the moon as you fall asleep. Because there is an aura from the moon, which he picks from the sun, which reduces by, by positive coefficient of two as it is moving across time-space. And as it hits your face, it causes the amygdala part of the brain to be awakened while you are sleeping. Everything I've said makes no sense, all right? I'm just trying to. <laughs> That's how to dream. They're giving keys to dreaming. There was nothing like that. Just that he didn't try to dream. He just woke up and realized he dreamt. That's what I mean by the dream dreamt him. Another day he dreamt again. And he told his brothers. They were the ones that had an idea about the interpretation. He did it. He was too young. He didn't know what it meant. But the dream was vivid. You know, why he told them was because the dream was vivid and was unusual. Ah, I dreamt that when, in fact, you know, I thought I was awake. That field was nice, different from this kind of field. If you see the way the field was, if you saw that field that day, and we're gathering sheaves, gathering, we're planting them, they're putting the sheaves down, as we just suddenly the sheaves became alive. You know, each person stood by his sheaves, and then, you know, and, and then, then I saw your sheaves bowing down to mine. I couldn't understand. He wished he didn't tell that dream. Then on that day, of course, after they said everything, sorry, boss, I meant no disrespect. It was just a dream. It was just so vivid. And that day he dreamt. Another vivid dream. Twelve stars were dancing. Then the moon lined up. And the sun joined. And then they bowed down to him. And he, said, he went and told one of them, say, Rojuda, good afternoon, sir. I know Egmont Ruben doesn't like this kind of stories. But I've observed you. I don't know what has been kind to me in this family. Please, what do you think about this? Judah said, this one sounds hard. Levi, <laughs> you know, <too. laughs> Levi had it. Levi said, no, no, no. You know, you know, Zebulon tends to have some interpretation. Cause Zebulon. Before the everybody had heard the dream. <laughs> of course, when Reuben heard it, Reuben didn't find it funny. Look at him like this. What did he do? This boy, this boy has come again. <laughs> Again, let's make the story short. Did he try to dream that dream? Let us even assume he understood the meaning of the dream. Or what they understood. And let me tell you something about, you know, some people want to interpret prophecies ahead of time. I've come to understand you don't understand prophecies until they come to pass. It is always that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken. That which was written. That's how it is. after, After it's been fulfilled, you will refer to it. Because... What dream did he dream? He dreamt who bowed down to him? His brothers, right? 
His family. Let me ask you, who bowed down to him? Everybody. Thank you. Nations bowed down to him. His brothers were less than 0.0001% of the people that bowed down to him. But the dream gave no such inclination, no such suggestion. All they heard was that he would be, what they thought that he would be the head of the family. What is he trying to say? They did not know he would go to Egypt. They did not know. That's why I talk about long-term dreams. Leave those things. They are not necessary. Listen, I've said it before, and I've said people argue with me, and I'll still say it again. I'm stubbornly saying it because it's the truth. And whether you like it or not, you will find out that what I'm saying is true. And in fact, many people are arguing with me, they are lying. Because where they are right now, they never planned it. Why do you now think you will plan where you will be tomorrow? They didn't plan it. As a matter of fact, time and chance happens to everybody. One of the signs of faith, just recognize this thing. What will happen to your children, I don't know. Leave it like that. I have found out one thing. The harder you work towards achieving a particular dream or plan you have made, the more you walk away from the will of God. Talking about long-term plans. One of the signs of faith eh, is to be able to confidently say, I don't know. I don't know does not mean you are careless. It means somebody else knows and you don't. We can't tell the story of Joseph enough. We can't. The lessons are always fresh, always new. The very plan, ah, there's some, you know, I like cartoons, you know, some of these, they, they have very beautiful stories. Okay, they are really made out of stories anyway, just that like the characters are now sketched. There's one, Kung Fu Panda, yes. Is it in Kung Fu Panda 1 or 2? You know, the, you know the way it is. Once the first one did well, decided doing many. I think it's the first one. What's the name of that uh, tortoise? You have all Ugwe, yes. Ugwe sent for Master Shifu. <laughs> and he said, he was a prophet. Enogu was a prophet. And he said, Tylon will return. Master Shifu did not even let him finish talking. He had called, there's this bird that will see like a seagull or one of these um, long flying birds. No, not crane. He didn't watch it. <laughs> There's this like a seagull, one of them that flies to go to the prison where Tylon was. Double the guards, double this, double the fence, double electric wire, double everything. That Tylon must not return. They must, then Ugwe says something which I'm talking about. He said, men all often encounter their destiny on the path they choose to avoid it. That's where I'm going. Because, truly, according to that cartoon, it was that message he sent that released Tylon. <laughs> Tylon was one very wicked, but very, very, you know, powerful, skilled, um, uh, was it uh, tiger or something? Or whatever. No, no, not tiger. It was only leopard or something, yes. That was, in, was chained. So they went there and said, Double dig. So the, the head of the guards there, he laughed. He said, where is he going to go? Where is he going to go? So he was not showing off to the bird. That Tylon is not going anywhere. In that process, a feather from the bird fell off. And Tylon grabbed it. Used it to pick his lock. 
And that was how Tylon got out of jail. That message. So that's why <laughs> Master Chief Ugwe uh, uh, said, man, often, of course, it was a Chinese proverb he was given, all right? Because those movies is made from a Chinese uh, story, okay? The Chinese proverb says, men often encounter their destiny on the path they choose to avoid it. Let me turn it around again. Oftentimes, the path they use to try and achieve their destiny, it's what leads them away from it. I just created that one. <laughs> yes, it's true. It's one of the reasons why God doesn't bother giving people too many details. Because if he does, in your attempt to get there, you will miss it. I heard one man of God preaching once, of course, we all keep learning, so I believe he, did, he had not learned it then. He said that it's good to know your purpose in life early. Let me tell you the truth, I don't say that anymore. It's not necessary. You know why? If you know it early, you will prepare for it the wrong way. He now said, he studied something like engineering, not engineering exactly, I just want to use that as an example. In university. He said, imagine that if he had known there was going to be a preacher today, what's he doing doing engineering? He would have gone to a theological seminary. And God said, I would not have learned the things I wanted to learn. You know, somebody was making a joke because in Rwanda, I think, the government of Rwanda is said to clamp down on churches. And sometimes churches behave like they should be clamped down on. With the number of crazy human beings we have that call themselves pastors and founders, you don't blame governments that want to clamp down. Just like God said in Nigeria, people should leave it for me. I will do my thing myself. I'm going to clamp down. Just watch me. So he said that, the said, you now need maybe a degree in theology to be able to get... To pastor it, to have a church, pastor a church in Rwanda. I don't know exact details, but so my classmates were not laughing at me. Somebody found the, it's an old issue actually. Now for it to the class group, I said, Banky, where is your degree in theology? So I made a joke. I said, degree in theology. I said, I don't need a degree anymore. I have become a professor of theology. And of course, many people there are professors, they are high ranking people and all of that. They understood what I was saying. I said, the amount of religious publications I have, is more, is more than twice the number that is required to become a professor in a theological seminary. <laughs> so we're laughing about it. Okay? Of course, I've written many articles, many teachings. Let's not, let's not even count our messages as publications. Let's just count the books and the printed articles and all of that. I said, relax. I'm not, I'm, we're joking about it. I said, I'm not an authority. Now, let's get back away from the joke. You see why I told the joke. If you had told me, Pastor Banky, you are going to, in the bank, you are going to be a pastor one day in life. And I wanted to follow the path of normal human beings. I go to a theological school, right? And they probably would not have taught me what I learned on the corridors of the University of Benin, where I went to school. Do you know, let me tell you how much I learned. My best friend, when we were seven, during you service year, had a bachelor's in theology from a theological seminary affiliated with UI. That is, from beginning to the end, he was in the corridors of a theological seminary. Four years. Then we met during NYSE. And we used to discuss scripture. One day I read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 for him, partly in Hebrew. I just read the Bible. I just quoted something in the Hebrew language. I remember he was kind of lying down and reading. When I said that thing, he jumped up. Like, where did he get that from? So I was like, uh, is this supposed to be hidden somewhere? It's no book we read. You know, I didn't think anything of it when I quoted it for him. In, uh, I, I, okay, I said something like, uh, you know, the earth was without form and void. I just said, tohu vabohu. He turned like, what did you say? 
We learned that in university. I don't know what I learned. Every one of my brethren knew it. It wasn't anything. When he and I would talk, we will talk about textual criticism and higher criticism. Then I'll give him arguments. Because we're talking about the, the multiplicity of the uh, authorship of uh, the book of Isaiah. What is the strong argument that day? He will give me this. I said, no, it doesn't make sense. And I'll give him my reasons. How did I learn that? I had read books on the arguments. Why studying medicine? When we finished, he wrote me a letter. He said that. He didn't, he didn't admit it then. It was after we had finished. He wrote me the letter that I challenged him to read the Bible. I don't know whether you're getting my point. In fact, you know, as I did, uh, something led to it this morning, you know. In fact, let me tell you this story, you know. You keep dropping many stories to help people. Pastor Corey and I were talking on the phone this morning, something led to it. So in the process of it, when I, I was just telling stories, I, as I say, did I ever tell you how I came to the University of Benin? How it, it happened that I, I, I went to the University of Benin? He said, no. I said, ah, wait, oh, I never give the, the gist. Many of you may have heard the gist. That I filled jam form, you know, as usual. And my parents took the jam form. And they were going to submit it, you know. So they stumbled into, they went home, that our hometown. Someone to my cousin, a cousin of mine. And they want to say, now asked after me. And I said, oh, that they want to submit my jam form. And that, um, he said, well, what am I planning to study? They said medicine. He said, where? They said UI, which is where most people in the West will go. We, we had only four universities. Three. Those days, now there are plenty. Then they were UI, IFE, and... Um, Lauren, yeah, no, Unilag was not a university for people in the West. It was a university for people in Nigeria. <laughs> you understand? The average person in Western Nigeria, you know, Lagos is not Nigeria. I hope you get my point. You start counting Western Nigeria from Ibadan. Yes. <laughs> Once you cross that Ibadan, leave those Lagos people alone. No, you don't know what they are up to. No, people around me, of course, I knew people were Unilag, but we hardly woke up in the morning and chose Unilag. You smoke something. No, you don't do such things. You go from Ibadan. First choice is Ibadan. Second choice is Ife. Third choice is Ilorin. Everybody did that. Everybody. Unless they offer the courses you're looking for. That's why you now start stumbling into things like Unilag with trepidation. You like, you, for what? <laughs> Who does such things? Now that's our attitude that time. I'm not saying it is wrong. I'm just giving the attitude. So University of Benin did not cross our minds. You now explained when my parents spoke without my cousin. Spoke with him. He, just gave, he was a final year student in the University of Benin. Of course, there are a few people who don't, you don't know how they got to where they are. They won't follow the normal path of life. That's how he was. <laughs> and he explained, he gave my parents arguments. One of the arguments was actually that it's closer home than this one people are going. Literally, it was less than half the distance. So they put everything together, plus his presence, his influence, and everything. That's how I ended up. Let me make the long story short. I ended up um, feeling uni-ben. That's how I ended up going to the University of Benin, where God was waiting for me. And as far as God was concerned, that was my training school. He planned it. It was deliberate. Please, I'll get back to my message, but I, I must finish that other side of the story. There's one part of the story which I must finish for all these single boys and girls. <laughs> that my cousin there, when I wanted to marry, a, a, one of my aunt, well, she's a cousin actually, but they are much older than you just call them auntie. So one of these my aunties, this is my cousin anyway, it's my cousin. So he said that no, they will not agree. Why do I want to go and marry from Delta State? So that's the person I told that auntie, you should learn to distinguish between I'm informing you and I'm asking you. They say, <laughs> no, I, t- I, t- I told her there's a word of difference, auntie. 
I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. You know, it's, an info, it's information. I mean, you should get used to it. She said, no, they will not agree. Oh, you know, that this kind of auntie must go over this pointless argument. I said, so I should marry from where? I said, in fact, as far as you are concerned, I should marry from Mondo State. Not only should I marry a Yoruba person, the person was from Mondo State. She said, yes. I said, not only, said, not only Mondo State, the person must come from our. She said, exactly. I was looking at her like, like, auntie, please, let us stop this joke. Let's, uh, let's move on. I mean, <laughs> now, the same person, the same person now told me a story. Human beings are very funny. <laughs> that my cousin I was telling you about, eh? the one that made me go to Uniben. He said, when, she, when he was a student in that university of Benin, there was either one of his classmates or one young woman in the college, the same college, faculty, that was in love with him and he was in love you know, was uh, somebody love you back? You know that song. <laughs> so they were, it was mutual love. And the, I don't know whether the girl came to our place or something, I don't know, but everybody fired him. No! They would never agree. And unlike me, you know me, I was born stubborn, developed stubborn. Christ became stubbornness in my soul. Are you getting my point? Everybody knew me. But he didn't have my strength. When they hit him, I said, the woman was from emo state. That what is so called? Where are the... Oh, you know the way people can be. And he fell for it. Oh, he, 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 you know, he shifted, shifted ground. In fact, my aunt told me the story that the lady was so much in love with him that those days there were no phones, that if he would travel, the day supposed to come back, she would go and sit at the bus stop. Now, looking at my aunt, you know, you want to kill somebody. I just know that this is your aunt, you can't kill. <laughs> I was looking at her like this. Now, that's not the gist, though. The Jesus, this my cousin had traveled abroad, married a Jamaican, and his children have never come to the country. Yes. I saw him last before I entered university. He graduated before I got him, so we're not mates. And by the time she was telling me this story, she had never seen his children. And I was looking at her like, how God said, what must I kill you people before you learn? Like to her, I said, you see. They have a saying also there that if you either, you know, it's an African saying, either you eat yam because of oil or you eat oil because of yam. That is, listen, if you had left this, if, if that guy had been strong enough and you guys had left him alone, he would have married another Nigerian. Yes, he's not from your hometown, we know, but at least he's a Nigerian. Two reasons to come home. Even if they had gone abroad, her father will call her, her mother will call her, your own people will call you. And among the two different clans, they will draw them home. You know the way it is. Those children will have visited. But the guy went and married somebody from the Caribbean islands, and we never saw his wife or his children. I'm sure he's a grandfather now. And we have never seen the... Is it grandchildren? We'll see why he did not see children. <laughs> I say human beings. Eh? You know this is what I'm talking And on top of all of this, oh, you are still there to do me also what you did to somebody. <laughs> Human beings are fantastic. So when God said, don't be like a, a, a mule or a donkey, he knew what he was saying. He said, Banky, they are these people. She you would have said, ah, wait, Banky, please, eh? I don't want to happen to your cousin to happen again. She, this same university of Benin people went to, that's where you will be getting all these ideas, Abi. And we'll leave it now. It's our lot in life, Abi. But he said, well, he was still there. Raising shoulder, but because me, Mr. Stubborn, stubborn in Christ, amen. I shall never be moved. <laughs> so now they can, of course, now they, 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 they see all the children, they see all the, the grandchildren are there to be seen. 
That's just by the way. Those of you who are still following unbelievers to marry from your village are the ones I'm preaching to. Some people are really crazy. They want to marry from even the same denomination. You should know that God is not even going to answer you. The day of your wedding, it will so rain, pastor no go come. It's a sign from heaven. <laughs> One of my friend's father died. The, the dead man had to pay a fine. Why? Because being a Catholic, he gave his daughter to Anglicans. So they find the cops. For those who don't know the Lord, let's pardon them. But this Christian will not be following. One young man, maybe one young woman will come to see your son one day and say, where is she from? Just came to collect her book. He forgot in your house. There's nothing. But you're already, you're already doing an interview. Where are you from? Where's your father from? Where's your grandmother from? Be doing. You won't ask spiritual questions that will make God get up and bless you. You know the like spiritual questions? Are they born again in the family? Are they called to ministry? You be asking that. The Lord is good. Let's sit down. Where was I, Joe, when I was talking about the future? You know, you can't plan. Uh-huh. So the point I'm making is this: Listen, you can't plan these things. So why I told my story about my going to University of Benin? That you know, it was a day's decision. It was never planned. We had filled the forms and everything. It was never planned. They just stumbled into a man that got planted and said, "Hey, no." told my father and my mother, I have a plan for this boy. So, I want him to go and get trained in a particular place. The school I went to was where I got my theological training. That's where we began that from. That's where I got it from. The Lord planted me amongst people. You know, there are many of ministers you know in Nigeria today have known, okay, so not many, some of them that everybody would know. There are many, of course, but you want, like, somebody like Pastor Chris or Yakilome, he used to come to preach in a fellowship where we are no more than five or six. And he's our minister. If we are plenty, we are ten. He always wore a suit. This one that he, wears, he has always been wearing a suit like this. I mean, there are days I will go to two fellowships in one day. There's a particular fellowship at that time. They were notorious for wasting time. So I'll go to my regular fellowship, close, then go and join them. Then we'll stay there till 12 midnight. So that whole evening I've been in church. I've participated in all kinds of things. Lay hands on you, you fall down by force, or you fall down. one way or the other, you'll find yourself on the floor. Sometimes you got tired of weight of hands on your head. Say, okay, she now fall in our mirror, I fall. <laughs> I'm going down. <laughs> so you feel sorry for the man laying hands on you so that you will feel like he's not anointed. You fall for his sake. All kind what, what I mean, they said that my fellowship that time, and they said we used to do um, fasting on certain days, those days, eh? my brother, will now be in dissecting room. Second year, third year, medical student, we're doing practical. Time for, we would dissect to stand. Time to go on break. Everybody go eat. You can't go anywhere. Why? It's fasting. We fasted too. We, we had all kinds of experiences. They say how to prophesy. <laughs> how to interpret tongues. You go try the one way you feed. The one way you know feed. I mean, I free me. I cannot. <laughs> but most importantly, Kai, we started. Re- I still remember the first um, that um, um, Pastor Chris's fellowship. You know, there is called YFC. 
I sat at one of their meetings those days, and one brother walked up to me and said, do you read Christian literature? I said, yes, but which one I read right now? Actually, I really didn't have any address that time, but just okay. Let me give you one. So he went and brought the book, Five Hindrances to Growth in Grace, by Kennedy Hagen. So I sat down, finished it before they started the meeting, gave it back to him. That was my first book I started reading. Then, you know, from there, we started picking books here and there. Then, let me make the story short. Got to a particular room. The fellowship and I finally settled in, uh, uh, Lord of Christ community. Got into a particular room with some brethren one time. And these, uh, these brethren were on fire. You know they call fire? Somebody say fire. Fire. Those guys were on fire. All they did was pray, speak in tongues, and read the Bible. The Bible and read Christian books. They, some of them used to go to class. Now, those who used to go to class were not even in that room. They just used to struggle in, just jump in, find any bed they can, and sleep there. You know, we had all kinds of brethren around us those days that, even if you didn't want to be saved, just the fun of having crazy people like that around you, you join them. The other is one brother. It was not our room, but I knew him. He was passing. This is the kind of people that I had around me. He was passing around in front of a female hostel. He was walking down the corridor. Then one of our brothers was in one of those rooms visiting. And so they were just laughing and you know, joking. A number of people were there laughing. So we had the Brothers' Day planned. You know, Brothers' Day. So, so some of the sisters in that room were in our fellowship. So we're saying that, look, we will come for that your Brothers' Day event. The brothers said, we will not let you in. He said, ah, don't worry now. We know how we're going to do it. We dress up, we wear trousers, we wear shirt, we wear tie. Then you think he's a man. So he was now joking. He said, ah, there's no way. He gave a particular proverb that there's no way something will happen that the other thing will not happen. He said, I will know you are the one. I will just tell you to come out. So this brother was passing along the corridor. At the point when he said, I will tell you to what? Come out. You know the next thing he did? He knocked on the door. So they opened the door for him. Hello, please, I heard come out. <laughs> he thought they were casting out demons. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Baba Steve used to call him. He heard people jo- He said, I heard come out. That is his own is that. Where is the deal? <laughs> that is. Where is the action? Where is the action? Where is the action? That was his own. Where is the action? Two of those kind of brothers, <laughs> they came to our room one day. So they were just hanging around there. They had graduated at that time, but just recently. So they came back to campus, just hanging around. They're ministers. So we started arriving from, from class and all of that. So we wanted to sleep. So two of them just looked at each other and said, ah, wait, there's no space to sleep. Like all the beds were taken, all the space were taken. He said, no, go pray. Do you hear what I said? So let's go and pray. And two of them left to go and pray. And pray till we finish sleeping. You're not getting my point. They pray from that 12 midnight till 5 in the morning. And then returned knowing that we'll be getting up to go to the next, for the next day's activity. So then now they can sleep. Those are the kind of, ah, the kind of people I had around me. They prayed. They just said, look, why are we sleeping? Come on, let's go and pray. They went to the sports complex, prayed from that time till morning. When it was daybreak, they returned to the same room. Of course, by that time, we were getting up to get ready for the next day's lectures. Then they took the beds and slept. First day I saw this book, The Father and His Family. One of our brothers is a pastor in Lagos now. 
He had it in his hand. Ah, went for a book fair. This is a rare books by E.W. Kenyon, the father and his family. And I said, sir, good afternoon. He was my senior. also a medical student. I said, please, can I look at that book? So instead of going around the book fair, I stood and I was reading. I, I didn't move again. I was reading the book. I just stood there. I was reading. When I read to a particular point, he, he, he was done. He said, please, I'm leaving. So I gave him his book back. Then I got to my room a few hours later. I was living on the first floor. And I looked down. And there he was, sitting under a tree, washing clothes. Ah, So I jumped down and said, hey, good afternoon. Please, you know, I, he remembered me. He said, can I have the book while you are washing? So, ah, the guy looked at me. He, of course, he too, he had it there. He pushed it under one pile of clothes and gave the book to me. So I went, ah, he said, you really like this book? Oh, I said, I do. He said, I give you for two days. I do in two days. Nothing else. I used to go to class. Every opportunity you have opened the father and the family. You are reading and reading and reading. E.W. Kenyon on God's plan for redemption. Explaining what Jesus why You know, all kinds of E.W. Kenyon teaches on righteousness, new creation, the family of God. Ah. The months later, I was not telling this story. Of course, two days later, I gave him back his book. The story is that the person who was the president of my fellowship before me, we used to call him Pastor E., he told me that he read the book. I said, ah, you have the copy? He said, no, that one you were reading. I said, when did you read it? He said, ah, that one day he came to the room. And he saw me sleeping. <laughs> he left the, host, the, the classrooms to come to the hostel to sleep. He entered, he saw Banky sleeping with the book beside him on the table. I kept just beside the table beside me like this. You know what? He took the book, started it, finished it by morning, and kept the book, then went to sleep. He said he read it the whole night. A man who came back to come and sleep, he read the book the whole night. Because he knew once I wake up, I will grab my tea. So while I slept, while men slept... <laughs> Listen, it was not the, just the letters I picked from the University of Benin. It was the spirit. It was the spirit. Those were the kind of people that hung around me. Of course, you've met many of them. Many of you have met Pastor Courage now. You know Mommy Anne. You know uh, Pastor Peter. That's how I got to know all those people. So when you're talking about training in theology, <laughs> that was where we got it from. That's where we got it from. Of course, as we are reading book, I remember the first day we saw Benny Hinn's video. We had never seen anything like that. The brethren, when they got the video case we play from, and they brought the television, they would all gather in one lecture theater, 218, brought the TV there, and we all sat down, and we were watching. And Benny Hinn would preach and preach, and he started ministry. See the fear of God. And the first day we heard Kenny Higgin, his voice on tape, we all sat down. Nobody could move. Why? Kennedy was talking on the tape. That's the spirit I'm telling you about. If you ask me, Pastor Bank, how are you doing in the ministry? That's the spirit. That's the spirit. Listen, in literal terms, I did more course content in those few years in that school than many people that went to theological seminaries on that subject. What didn't we read? Dix was our companion. The EW Companion Bible, our fellowship had one, and my room, we used to call it Fellowship Headquarters. Because President of Fellowship was there. 
Then after him, I took over as president of the fellowship. So wherever I was, was Air Force One. Do you get, are you getting my point? <laughs> no, that's, what, that's how we live. Now, now, remember the point I was trying to make. If we had to use human training, I would have gone to a proper theological seminary. God said, Banky, what I want to pass to you, that's not where you will get it. That's not where you will get it. That's not where you will get it. Let me take you somewhere else. You will get the same course content, but you'll get the spirit I want to pass across. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. So by the time I finished, I met somebody. I still go on to confirm it. I met somebody who had a BS in theology. And he told me, he said, oh boy, you challenged me to read the Bible. And he had a degree in theology. He had a degree in theology. A lot of the theological things that, of course, it's not a book. You go to the back of Companion Bible, you read all kinds of things. That's when I used to read about textual criticism, higher criticism, those kind of things. You read them there. Books were flying around all the time. It got to a particular point. This was after I left school. If any of our brethren got a book or a tape, I was the first person they thought of giving it to. If I had to, if I had to plan my own future, I would not have planned it like that. I wouldn't have. Not because I'm too uh, wicked, though. Just that I'm not that smart. I would have gone the way of the world. That is okay. You want to be a pastor? Go to Tedeka Seminary. Then go and do an apprenticeship here. You know the truth? I, I, did I, okay, I must have done an apprenticeship here and there. Apprenticeship in preaching. I started on campus now. I went to his, when I was doing my house job, I was a Bible teacher in the church throughout the year. Then after I left them, I used to visit them once a year to come and stay a few weeks to continue doing the work of the ministry. There was no format. Nobody has ever given me a certificate. So I can't really practice in Rwanda. <laughs> yeah, for all this, I don't have a certificate. We used to go to Winners School of Ministry. It was not a formal school. but just every quarter, they had the three days of training. And all kinds of ministers would come. You would hear, in a, each day you got one, two, three teachings every day. It's from 9 to 11, 11 to 1. No, sorry, 4. 9 to 11, 11 to 1, then 4 to 7, then 7 to 9. I've told the story that there was no, I mean, that long break, we just sit down in the church hall like that, just be waiting for the time to pass, walk up and down, sit, put your chair against the wall, put your head against the wall and sleep. That's the training. So, this one I'm going to make. You really can't plan these things. If anybody tells you he planned it, the person is lying. No? And if he's telling the truth, it's unlikely it's in the center of the will of God. I'm sorry to say it like that. Now, there's something that's going through many people's mind when talking about plan. Remember I kept on saying what? Long-term plans. Long-term plans. Don't forget it. Let's say, for example, you have children. Yes, children must go to school. It's not about whether they want to be this in the future or not. They must go to what? School. Simple. They mu- See, literacy is like food. You must eat it. There's no plan around literacy. You have to be educated. There was one young man I saw on TV then, when I was, I was in Lagos. I was watching him on TV. Young guy over me was a student at the University of Lagos. They were interviewing about um, no jobs in Nigeria, no jobs when he graduates. He said something, I never forgot it. He said education is not, he said it's an end in itself. It's not a means to an end. He said education is an end in itself. That you are a graduate doesn't mean you must have a job. And that's okay. You just graduate before me didn't get a job, so I won't go to school. He said, no. You go to school to become educated. Once you're educated, then you can become anything. 
And that's what I always tell young people. When they say, I want to be there. I'm like, look, forget these things. Just relax your life. Go to school, read. Read well. I always advise, you know, um, students in secondary school, there are subjects I say you must choose. I don't need for the course I want to do. I say it's not about what you need for the one court course. Just be enlightened. I said, just be enlightened. See, say, you know, in fact, sometimes people are talking about this. They say, I don't want to geography. I say, you see, it's not, I don't, I don't expect you to become a geologist or what else do you do with geography? Or become a geographist <laughs> or meteorologist? No. Because I say, it teaches you so much about the life around you. That's all. That's just, I say, just know about the life around you. I studied geography in secondary school. It's not, it, I didn't need it for anything afterwards. But if you, are, if you are driving and you are talking about planes and all of that, I can relate with you. So I tell people, listen, you go to school. You know, most people I know in this life, that a lot of the big people you know, okay, let's start with pastors. Most of the biggest pastors you know in Nigeria, they did not go near a theological seminary. And I'm telling you the truth. Pastor Yadeboe was teaching mathematics University of Lagos. When Pa Akindayomi said, the Holy Spirit said, that's the man who take over from me. I hope you know, what's the name of the, uh, Enenche, he's a medical doctor. Tunde Joda in Lagos, medical doctor. I don't know how many of you know Tunde Joda. Yes. Tony Rappo, also a medical doctor. Just like me, they did a lot of their theological training while they were students. <laughs> while they were students. And one advantage we had was that God kept us in school for long, you know, studying medicine six years. In fact, we used to have an unusually high number of Christian leaders in the College of Medicine. Yes, it was very, very unusually high number. If you check the proportion, maybe you get to, to the campus fellowships, you see like one-third of the campus leaders are from College of Medicine. And the reason was simple. They were the most experienced. Why? Because, you see, like in our fellowship, if we're in final year, you couldn't hold leadership positions, actually, because you're about to leave school. All right? So, but then final year for us was 60 year. So people with 50 year who has stayed longer than most other people on campus, who have been Christians for long, naturally you gravitate towards them for leadership things. For example, I became president of my fellowship in my fourth year. I would not have qualified if I was not in medicine. I wouldn't have qualified. They would have said, no, you're about to graduate. I did not get into leadership until that, I think, the fourth year. No, I became the president in my fifth year. Sorry, that's the fourth year. No, in my fifth year, I was a 500-level student when I was made my president of my fellowship. So that's why we had an unusually large number. That was actually the simple reason. So you got there, you saw so many people that were in that you know, faculty, all people that stayed long in school because they stayed longer, they are more experienced Christians, they are older and all of that. Now, so a lot of us got training in that area and that's not the human way. So I tell people sometimes, I say, listen, education, just get educated. The, the, the kind of person where I am right now, anything my children, because they want to just do anything you want to do. You know why? Many of the things you will become in life, they don't teach it in school yet, so don't worry about it. Fact. One of our brothers, when he's talking, he said, no, I studied engineering in school, but now I'm a purchase specialist. <laughs> Purchasing. Yeah, because that's the company where he works out, the department they put him in, and they trained him. After many years, he had forgotten the engineering he learned in school. That's true. You study law, they toss you into, maybe you go and get a job in a bank after a while. 
They make you a bank MD. You can't, you don't even know the law of thought or the law of anything, but you know interest rate, eh? Like mad. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true now. Sometimes I tell people, I say, listen, all this one of, uh, you see, you, it's good to have desires. I'm not saying you we can't have long-term desires. I was trying to explain the short-term, yeah, but let, I didn't make the statement, let me make it now. What you expect us to plan concerning are the things he calls the day, which we in modern day will call short term. For example, that's what I talked about the children, is the day. The day they are in is be educated. It's not about the future, it's about education. And that's why, please, listen, if you are raising children, your focus should be on learning the things that matter in life, not getting certificates. I'm sorry to say this is just my own. Okay, no, let me not go there. Let me not go there. Please, let me just say it like this. Hmm? Your children want to go to school. What should concern you most is that, let me, for example, now, the one I just gave as an example now. I think many Christians should actually start in quotes, just valuing things like that. What are you good? Do you know there was time I was sick? I was ill at home. What, long story of what, because with my own medical mind afterwards, I made my own diagnosis. I disagreed with the doctor, but I was hospitalized anyway. I got back, after a few days, I got back home. And I was a little bit improved, but not fantastically improved. Do you know my mother actually said I should go back to school? If you know my mom, she's a very finicky person. You know, she wouldn't take such a risk. You know what she said? She said she believed that if I get amongst those my people, I would get well. I don't know whether I get the point. She, knew, she believed that there was an environmental anointing when I would get back to school. And I had to agree with her. She just said that, no, you know they sick like this when you did school. It's when you came home, you not first like this. No, go back to school. When you finish praying, you will get well. Yeah, and she, she believed it. If I remember that time, my brother used to yap me that, you know, that the way I behave, that, uh, that our younger brother, Deji, that if the, the, if, if the guy comes to stay with me when we are older, that he will suffer. I said, what? He said, ah, will I even know he's there? That we'll be going from one crusade to another. <laughs> there are no me in the house. He said, if you come and tell me that, hey, boy, I'm sick, I'll just say, in Jesus' name, Jesus', Jesus name, and I'll go out again. <laughs> you know, I remember that. I said, oh, oh, oh. They, that is, they noted those things at home. What I'm going to say is that sometimes when we want to plan for our kids, why don't we even value things like that? We value so much about foreign education. And we don't care whether they will ever be in such an environment or not. If you want to plan for kids, please, just check, ask yourself, how do I inculcate the things that God will value in them? Because ultimately, the future is determined by him. Oh, yes. Oh, he decides the future. These long-term plans, they don't work. Forget it. They don't work. They don't work. Many people, they've been so planned out of divine destiny. Every time God wants to move there, we know, no, no, no. say, no, this is what my father, my mother, and I have always agreed on. They push after why God, my spirit will not always strive with man. He leaves them there. I'm talking about faith. Remember, we're talking about the breath of faith. All right? One of the signs of faith is the ability to just live. I use the word carelessly, but actually the proper word so that don't cause confusion is totally relaxed. There's something I say once in a while, and that's the fact that the NFA, you know what they call NFA? Good, no future ambition. So when we are to call them NFIT. The NFIT, people who are generally lax and what the people that David uh, Solomon call fools. No one, David yeah, Solomon used the word fool. It's not the way an average person uses it. What it means is that you don't know what's going on. You don't care. You don't have any idea. You are totally irresponsible. 
The people who are irresponsible and the people who have faith, they often look alike. I like to emphasize that once in a while. And actually, if your faith has not been confused at certain points in life with irresponsibility, you need to work on that faith. You need to work on that faith. People must confuse you at a point in time with somebody who has no plan, who is irresponsible. Sometimes a father will look and say, I can't give my daughter to you. I don't think you'll be able to take care of him or of her. And it's a sign of faith. Seriously. Sometimes the two of them, they look alike. The irresponsible person and the person of faith. What is the difference? Remember my answer. When you want to know the difference between the person who is just purely irresponsible concerning the future and the one who has left the future in God's hands, what is the di- because the irresponsible person avoids such people. They are dangerous. They are dangerous. They can never be balanced in life. If you like that, they want $1 billion. They will, at the end of a few weeks, they will be owing a few hundreds of millions of dollars. I hope you, you know, like Sonia uh, Delaja wrote in a book, money won't make you rich. I hope you know that it is true. I hope you know it's true. You don't want to believe. Okay, you will find out. Money does not make people rich. I hope you get my point. It doesn't. I have seen money make people poor before. When they had no money, they were just there. Then when they had money, they became poor. Say, Pastor Baki, how? I will tell you, it's very simple. Have you ever given, okay, no, you have not given somebody money like that, but you've seen them. They, maybe the guy is doing nothing, 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 poor, doesn't have anything. Then suddenly he makes 10 million naira. Then he starts building the house. <laughs> then after he has spent nine point something on the house, of course, he'll build the one that's beyond his size. He had just reached the decking level. Then the money will now finish. Then he's now owing the man that he bought cement from. I forgot to tell you about the architect is owing. He's only the guy who sold sand. He's only the guy who sold rod, iron rod. Yes, that, guy, that one, the iron rod. I almost forgot. Then the guy he bought the land from, he was supposed to pay something to the community. He has not finished paying. Because he gave him 10 million and suddenly he's owing 15 people. That's what I mean, that money made him poor. A man who used to walk around the street before without any care in the world. Now what can he do? He can't come out during the day. He can only come out at night. What was the cause of his problems? Money. And that's why God doesn't just give money to people anyhow. The Lord is good. I was trying to explain something. Eh? The difference, yes. That if you see an irresponsible person, don't give him money. It will make him poorer than before you give him. Such people just give enough money to eat. Money that's guaranteed not to give him ideas. <laughs> think about it. If you give somebody 1,000 naira, what can he think of more than food? Okay, buy 200 naira recharge card. Now, what is the difference between the person that's irresponsible and the person who's working by faith? It's simple. Give them something to do. Give them something to do. Watch how responsible they are in the matters of what? Today. The student who says to you, I don't care about the future. God will take care of it. There's no problem. Check whether he goes to class regularly. 8 o'clock, first lecture. Go and check. Is it there? If he's, teaching, if he's just waking up, Abraham bless his heart. Yeah, they are mine. Abraham's 8.15. He, he has not had a bath. Abraham's blessings are mine. Are you not going to go to class? Look, those things don't make a man. That guy is going to fail today and fail tomorrow. Come out in 15 years, he's still telling stories, he'll be a failure. How do you know that he's really trusting God? 
8 o'clock is in class. Do assignment, he has done it. You have exam next week, he's there reading his book. What's going to happen to you in the future? I've left that one for God. I hope you're getting my point. He belongs to a fellowship. They say you are the one in charge of uh, equipment. Fellowship is what time? Maybe campus fellowship is 7 in the evening. 6.30, he has reached there. He's tightening the wires. He's connecting everything. By 7, he has tested the mic. They are ready. He's not paid to do the job, but he's very consistent in doing it. He's not the president of the fellowship. It does not matter. His job is equipment. Equipment works well because he's always there. He's faithful. When they say, ah, we need to carry the equipment, he carries on his head. He's not ashamed. Say, All the sisters are looking at me. Let them look. Please, sisters, any man that cannot carry equipment on the head and you're on campus, don't marry him. <laughs> it's true. You see, he has carried the equipment. He has dropped it there. He's doing everything. What about your future? Say, I don't know. Believe him. God has a hold of his future. And God will not disappoint him. That's why you, you, we need to understand. When you talk about plans, people... Yes, long-term plans, when I say you don't need to make it, let me just put it like this, you can't make it. If you are making it, you are wasting your time. The events of this life, they are not under your control. God will keep on... And when we're children, children, you wanted to make it in life, you had to be a civil engineer. You don't... Okay. They don't remember. Do you know about that period? Civil engineering was the in thing. Do you know why? Nigeria was building roads and building... You know, Nigeria was being constructed. Do you get my point? So all the Michelettis... Julius Bejas and um, uh, Shinobule. Shinobule. Uh, you know, uh, you know Shinobule. Yes, uh, you know what they call it? <laughs> Solel Bune. <laughs> Solel Bune. So where they call it Shinobule? <laughs> you know? Yeah, they they were working, so they were employing people coming from school. And they, of course, what did they want? Civil engineers. By the time we were finishing, <laughs> that period was gone. There was a time it was everybody was elected. Elect. Elect, 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 elect. Of course, technology was you not know, the in thing booming. And th- of course, after everybody wanted to code. But there was a time I said, why code? Why elect? Why don't you just play football? <laughs> JJ Okocha. You know, when JJ Okocha and Co began to reign, give me their names. Kanu Wanko, Sunday Olise, JJ Okocha, Finidi, ah, Finidi George. Those guys just made the rest of us look like, why did we go to school? <laughs> When we, were, when we were playing ball that time, where were you? You were going to read physics. They asked me, they can't want to pass physics? No. <laughs> so I told people, I said, will I buy football for my children because of that? I said, of course not. Nonsense. I'm not buying you football because I can't want to. If you want to play ball, I will buy it. You understand? It's because of ball, not because of money, not because of can't want to. Because many people don't know, 99.9% of footballers are poor. Not just poor, very poor. They are still going on strike to collect allowance of 2005. You don't know that? Oh, you think everybody's collecting $1 million a month? Forget that thing. Most, most footballers are even injured. <laughs> they are coaching Division Three team in one state somewhere. I don't mean Katao. Uh, I mean a boy state. Yeah, retired footballer, nothing. And they are... They are they are the majority. So don't go and buy football and be playing games with your children's lives. It's true. If you want to play football, please play. I'm not saying this is bad. In this life, you remember one of the things God said, you must learn. Man does not live what? By bread alone. Stop focusing about how, on how to acquire bread. 
That's the point I'm making. We must not focus on how to acquire bread. What do we do? Long-term plan, can we make it? Of course not. You cannot make long-term plans. It's not possible. You can't make it. It's not about um, uh, whether you want to or you don't want to. You cannot. The ability has not been given to man. That's the point I'm making. If anybody tries to make it look like it is with man, the person is lying. I've had arguments with people again and again about it. I'm not changing my mind. That's what the scripture tells us. It's not within a man, listen, to direct his path. It's not possible. Life has two stages. Let's just read this portion so that we will read another portion of the scriptures. The book of Luke, chapter... Let me get there first before I tell you where I'm going. Because what I want to explain, life has two stages. In the first stage, and that is the one that God has given us. That's one he gives us control over. The book of Luke, chapter 19... He said from verse 11, while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And he supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to rule over us. When he returned, now just leave that verse 14, it's in parenthesis. Let's focus on what we are saying. When he returned in verse 15, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared, saying, Your mina, master, has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave. Because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Your mina master has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. Another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, By your own mouth I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you not know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystanders, Take the mina away from him and give him to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten already. I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Let me stop reading verse 26 there. Now, why did I read this? Just want to emphasize to us again the fact that life has two stages. And that's the point I've been making up till now without referring to this. And the second stage is not at all within your control. That is the stage in which the master will come back. The first stage is the one in which he has given you something to do. That is, the result of it is what he will use to determine what he will do with your life when he comes back. Now, we can look at it as about the coming of the kingdom later on, but we can look at it in the present day life, that we all have two stages in life. The first stage in which God gives us, you know, the power to make decisions. Yes, that is when you can plan. And the plan, listen to me, is not about your life. It's about a plan of faithfulness. I hope you're getting my point. The first plan he remember, well done, good and faithful slave. That's what he said. He said, well done. How did he say it again? Which verse is that? Around verse um, seven, 17. The first appeared in verse 16. Yomina has made 10 more. He said to him, 
Well done, good slave. You have been very faithful. You have been faithful, he said to him. Notice the word was what? Faithful. So the plan we are making the first instance is about faithfulness. It's not about our lives. I hope you're getting my point here. Let's bear that in mind. When we're training our children also, let's teach them faithfulness. Not how to make money. It's how to be faithful. Not how to succeed in life. It's how to be faithful. How to be faithful. And that must be the core of the teaching. Faithfulness. Remember what he said to Abraham. I have chosen him so that he will do what? Command his children in the will of the Lord how to do righteousness and justice. So that God will bring to pass that which he has promised concerning him. That is, whether God will bring it to pass or not is dependent upon whether his children learn how to do righteousness and justice. That should be the focus. Children are going to school. Teach them, listen, if you get to campus, this is how they behave. These are the things you will do that God will be happy with you. This is not how to make it in life. That's not the point. Listen, go to the school, fail. And I'm not saying you should fail now. I'm just trying to say something. That even if you were to fail, but you pass all the tests of God, you will succeed in life ultimately. That if you went through that campus, succeeded, humanly speaking, first class, but you failed all God's tests. The test of faithfulness, you failed. Test of morality, you failed. Test, test of justice, you failed. Man may not even know it, but God knows it. God saw how you cheated in the exams. God saw how you defrauded your friends. God saw all of those things. Those are the things he's going to use to determine where you get to tomorrow. I hope you're getting my point here. This first stage, we apply different areas in life, even in ministry. The moment they put something in your hand, please don't worry about what your life will become. Like I keep on saying telling people, you cannot scheme that I want to be another Yudeko. See, there's only one Yudeko. There's only one. There's no another one. I hope you're getting my point. Even his son is not another Oyedepo. There's one David Oyedepo. And that's it. That one has come. Leave him. Before him, you know there was nobody like him. I hope you're getting my point. There is something you are going to be. There's nobody like it today. Let's take, talk David Oyedepo for a moment. Who, which minister in Nigeria ever, you know, exploded the ministry the way he did? Let's just, the way we look at it. And then built universities. In fact, one of my classmates that day, <laughs> you know, he posted something that Bishop Edipo said. And he likes to mock. He said he doesn't believe in God. He believes in ancestors. He likes to make mockery. So he posted the thing that Bishop said something. And he started laughing. How is that even possible? He said, okay, I know all the pastors in this class, so they will believe it all. And he'll make a long solution. And I asked them, what is wrong with what the man said? That forget whether you believe in miracles or not. What is, how, what makes it so improbable for this to have happened? Now, that's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is that, I said, listen, guys, relax. I like, I like Bishop Oedipo. I like my bishop. Leave him. The same guy who said a joke, who said he does not believe in God, I believe in ancestors, he said, I like him too. Ah. I said, what do you mean? He said, I like what he's doing in Covenant University and Landmark University. Our talk now shifted to those universities. He said, two of my children graduated from there. And that guy said, hey, parents bias." Parents bias, you know, the way, that's how my classmates play, you understand? But when I began to discuss the university, you say, oh boy, the place is not like Nigeria. He said, when you get there, it hits you. Even though they didn't have, he doesn't believe in all this Christianity we are doing, he said, oh boy, when it comes to that university matter, I beg. <laughs> I'm on the man's side. It, no, he was so grateful for what the man has done. Oh, yes. No, those who understand value, when you see those places, you will appreciate. Those who, you know, some ignore, you know they call ignoramuses. They don't know what's going on. Solomon calls them fools. They don't know what's going on in the world. 
How many people can pay it? How many people can fly? That's aeroplane. Why don't you go and meet uh, the airlines and say, drop your prices, drop your prices. They charge according to what it costs them. Not about whether you are, it's not whether you are rich or poor. That's not the determination. Have you ever asked Dangote, how many people can buy your cement? The guy, they jack in price up and down according to many factors which does not include your poverty or your prosperity. But even then, I'm not taking a holding brief for Bishop Oedipo or anything, but those schools, actually, many of them don't charge what it costs to run the place. Tertiary education, just expensive by nature. That's just the way it is. Now, the point I'm making here is this. Those are the things that the man has done. That is what he is. There's no guarantee. You can't be sitting down there one day to build the university. By the time you are ready to build things, because I don't want university again. I want game reserve. I hope you are getting my point. I want to build a zoo. I mean, there can be. You are getting my principle. You know the interesting thing? Many pastors have very big churches, you understand? For over 27 years, I have not desired to pastor a church. I have never been impressed that your church is large. Anything wrong with it? No. It's just what God poured inside my heart. All I wanted to do was write and teach and record what I'm teaching. You've heard me say many times before. What's more important to me? Hmm? I love you, all of you, honestly. I love you. I'm not lying about it. God bless you. Thank you for being blessed today. But this microphone, if they say, choose all these people, I choose a microphone ever. I choose my microphone. <laughs> yes, the mic. Yes. Which is connected to a recording device at the back there. Because for me, no matter the number of people that come, it's not as important as the fact that we recorded it. Maybe because I was brought up like on things like that. So that's what I want to leave for my generation. I hope you're getting my point here. I want it to be that after I have left, people can still be listening to me. And literally, thousands of people listen to us on a monthly basis who don't come near here. Who can sit inside this hall. And they listen from all over the world. Please, I hope you're following my point here. So trying to be like somebody else is the point I'm making. It's actually not necessary. What God has ordained your future and the future of your children to be is not a game of chance. We're here yesterday discussing, did God write the scripts for our lives? And we answered that yes, he did. We read from Psalm 139. All the days of my life, before there was any one of them, they've been written in your books. And we also said, there are two other scripts, one written by the devil and one that human beings write for themselves. But the one that God wants us to live by is the one that he has written. And we said, he may not re- reveal the details in the script, but you can qualify yourself to walk in line with the script by what you do with this step one. That's the point I'm making. The first stage of life, what are you doing? You're just proving faithful. You are strategizing your life for faithfulness. Remember what I said before, everything is a test. If they give you a job today, just realize that God has put me on training and testing. So when I'm in that job, I learn what I'm supposed to learn. And I just ask myself, what are, what are the kind of questions that God will ask if we were to come? He will say, okay, your boss was not looking. How are you handling the work behind him? Were you working as for a man or as unto the Lord? Important question. He said, do you remember how Laban, Jacob worked in the house of Laban? You say yes. He said, did you work like that? Were you faithful enough so that your boss can brag that, ah, I made progress while you were working with me? 
Can your boss beat his chest and say, I'm earning from you much more than I'm paying you, which is what's supposed to be. If your boss is earning less from your input than what he's paying you, you are a bad investment. I hope you know that. Some people work in certain places. <laughs> I remember one guy that worked with my wife and she and her friends had a company that time. One guy they employed in the go here. One day had a meeting. The main guy who was in charge came to town. And the guy was talking. They had a kind of training. He said, uh, this kind of thing and the kind of movement they have to do that the company needs to should provide a car. If they can provide a car, it will make the movement easier. So my wife was looking at the guy like, what? Do you know what it means to get a whole car for you? But the guy, the main guy was in charge, very smart. He had experience, you know, running, um, tra- um, what do you call it, distribution for pharmaceutical companies and all of that. So he understood. He said, that's not a problem. Ah, the guy said, it's not a problem. That getting a car is not an issue. But if we are going to get a car, we raise the target. <laughs> I hope you're getting my point. If I gave you a target before of maybe sales of half a million in a month, if I bring a car, oh boy, I'm going to make it four million. Anyway, let me not go into details. The guy, you know, you see who just work like, I'm supposed to just come here and collect. Whether the company is making money or not. And they were doing a kind of business where you could track whether we are making money or we are not making money. I mean, if you are doing sales, you will know whether we are selling or we are not selling. Yet, it's more of people are just content. You know, sometimes you have, you have, you have a conscience. You have a conscience. Like one guy walked to my wife one, during lockdown and said, I, I thought you raised my salary. My wife said, even if I did, will you collect it? In the midst of lockdown, I'm not earning anything. Yet I'm paying you consistently. Ha! If I wanted to raise the salary, would you tell me, say, Madam, please, leave it till lockdown is over, when money starts flowing. You see, I was thinking that, ah, I thought you raised my salary. Say, you thought wrongly, sorry. The money you saw, this is how it came. You know, there was an issue with, um, anyway, let me not go into details. But why would you open, my wife looked at him and said, so even if I did, you would take the money. Then you must be heartless, oh. In the midst of all these troubles we are going through. <laughs> I told you that day, one of our brothers said, stumbled to another brother abroad. His company sent them for training. Paid good money. Sent them for training abroad. Yet he was planning to resign from the, com- from the company in less than six months. And he knew he wanted to emigrate abroad. He looked at him and said, how can you be like this? And you say you're a Christian. Don't you realize that this man paid money, bought this ticket, paid for this course. He's paying for your accommodation. You're going to be here for like three weeks or one month. At the end of the day, you go back home, drop your resignation and walk away. Don't you have a conscience? In that first stage of life, that's what we'll be looking at. That when God comes, how would he test me? He said, if you have not been faithful in that which belongs to another person... Who will give you your own? Is that what the Bible says? Say that is faithful in little will be faithful in much. He says if you have not been faithful in that which belongs to somebody else, who will give you your own? A lot of people don't understand it. Let me say this. Eh? Forget your future plans. Eh? God has written his own plans. He has written it. What you should be doing now is qualifying for the manifestation of his plan in his time. And these are the things I'm saying. That's what we need to, let me just focus on it for, for a few seconds. That's what we need to do in training our young people. Let's teach them faithfulness. If God gives you the opportunity to talk to young people, people, especially maybe, well, secondary school is important, university especially, and those who have just left school, 
Very, very importantly. Tell them, listen, you are not coming here to come and look for money. There is no pride in I bought a car within the first two years. There is no pride in it. Do you get my point? It's not even a prayer point. You see, it's not like, hey, Father, in the name of Jesus, you show your glory. God I know my glory. I'm not in doubt. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, no some, some people want to use God. Say, God, now shine, shine, shine. No, like, let them know you are God. God, it doesn't matter. I want you to know I am God. Man shall not live by bread alone. You get the point. You get the point. When he said, man shall not live by bread alone, what was God saying? Listen, all the human arrangements you know, people try to produce something out of it. He said, but by every word, I can produce those things without those arrangements. Destiny is an, is an endowment, an endowment. It's a gift. Why did I read this portion of Luke chapter 19? When he came back, he said, faithful servant, he said, good slave, you have been faithful. Now, be in charge of cities that I conquered while you were at home. I don't know whether you get the point. You didn't follow me to the place where I conquered it. I just told you, prove faithful while I'm gone. I want Christians to understand what we are laboring for, in quotes, all right? What we are working towards is what he will bring when he comes, which, you know the truth, you don't know. And that's, you know, I began by this, by saying faith. Breath of faith. A sign that you are walking in faith, you are not worried about tomorrow. It's a sign of, look, listen, sometimes they tell me, when I came to Enugu, you know, the dollar was um, 17 when I was in Lagos, and I got to Enugu, by 100, 120 or so, there about by 100. Okay? As of today, it's 500, alright? Okay. I've seen it change, again and again. There are times to make a leap. I want to start quickly making plans. I have learned that if I make any such plans, I'm looking for trouble, divine trouble. So if dollar starts getting more expensive, what's my problem? I continue to pray and give the Lord thanks. Knowing that the cost of the dollar cannot alter what God wants to give to me in life. It can't. I know what God is even testing that, okay, Banky, in the midst of all of this, are you going to shift your faith? Or are you going to, are you going to shift your works? What are you going to change? Or you are going to focus? And that's what I was making at the beginning. The harder things get, the more the focus is on the Lord. You know, if you want to do something and you have some money, you'll be using how the money reach. But if you want to do something that there's no money at all, then you can pray completely. I like one thing Robert Schuller did those days. Robert Schuller. I don't remember Robert Schuller. Crystal Cathedral. All right? Let me give you the... I don't know what happened later in life, so I'm not saying everything they did is what I'm in agreement with. But those early days, I read his story that time. When they wanted to build Crystal Cathedral, he checked the amount of money he had and there was no money. So he said, good. If I had money, I could plan according to the money I had. But if I have no money, I can plan, seeing that only God. <laughs> they wanted to build a building. There's no money. He went and met the architect. I want to, he said, I want to design a building that can see this number of people. The architect looked and said, that was your budget. <laughs> the guy said, I don't have any money at all, so don't worry about it. Just design it as your spirit can design. There's no cost limit. <laughs> Are you getting the point? Because there's no money at all. You know, if you had money, you can say my budget. He said, look, I don't have any money, so let me not use my budget to disturb you. you don't have, I don't have any money. So he said, the only thing I just want from you is to make sure the building is all made of glass. The architect said it is impossible. 
He has the actually, what's the meaning of impossible? Say, wait. He brought out the dictionary and gave it to the man to check. The man opened the dictionary to check, read out the meaning of impossible. And he got the that portion had been cut away from the dictionary. So give my dictionary, put it back. Say, see, there's nothing like impossible in my dictionary. <laughs> he did it literally, gave it to the man, literally. The man opened it and saw that he had cut away that word impossible. He said, don't worry. The, the, <laughs> there's nothing like impossible. You just go and do your work. Why I told the story is that the man says, since I don't have any money. There's no point trying to plan within my budget. There's no budget. Budget is for those who have money. Listen, this is a matter of fact. He made you hungry, he said, then he fed you with manna. Why? He wanted you to understand something. That man does not live, what? By bread alone. What God is saying is that in the midst of total lack is when I can show what I can do. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That is my opportunity to demonstrate what I can do. The other day I wanted something. Material, so let me not um, bother you with it. So I checked the price. It was so expensive. So I decided that, God, the price is so high. So I know what I'm going to do. I will not ask you for it. You know, if I could afford it, I will be planning the money. But if I can't afford it, what do I do? I ask it. And the beautiful thing about when you don't have money is what? You stop thinking about it. <laughs> do you get what I'm going to say? Yeah, you stop thinking about it. You just ask the love for it and then you forget it. What is real faith? Let me summarize it like this. This is real faith. I don't worry about tomorrow. There's a carelessness about my life that is determined by the fact that I realize that God is actually handling things. The more I spend time planning my future, the truth is that it's a sign of lack of faith. It's not a sign of intelligence. It's not a sign of faith. I give it to you straight. It's a sign of lack of faith. You have not left that future to God. Spend your time planning faithfulness in what he has given you today. The future is not an accident. It's determined by somebody. It is not an accident. You know, the person will be president in 2023. Sure, you know, God already knows. God has already determined the person. The person, maybe by now, maybe he has not even picked any... Maybe he has not even made up his mind. Maybe the idea... I pray you understand my point. Maybe the idea has not yet crossed his mind. I said, ah, do you know that uh, by now people are already planning? That's people. Only the plan of God will stand. There are people in this country, they have, they are heard about the plans of some people. I said, my God, man can plan. One man in America contested the election. He ran against two, you know, in America, election is money, just like Nigeria. How they spend it is different, but it's still money. I hope the American election is more expensive than Nigeria's own. But how they spend it is the issue. Our own, we share the cash physically to people. Americans will spend their own on adverts and t-shirts and billboards and the advertising agencies eat money during that period. I know Americans will feel very righteous. Say we are anti-corruption. Listen, we are also anti-corruption. It's just that we eat our money election time. You, you spend your own on billboards. Money is what? Money. It's money. Maybe I divex, but you get the point. <laughs> So this American man, he ran against two people who had money he didn't have. He was a retired high school principal. So he won the election. And I watched his, his um, acceptance speech. He said, this indeed has been an experience that money could not buy. 
that was how he dropped it for them. Yes, because he didn't have. He retired recently as a high school principal. And he ran against multi-millionaires. They had the money to spend. He didn't have. He beat them nicely, you know, without controversy. He beat them coolly. And he said, this has been an experience that money could not buy. Let me tell you what God is saying. I said, American politics is money, right? Nigerian politics is what? Money. Both of them is money. Let me give you the word of the Lord. That you will understand. Man does not live by cash alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, does man live. I'm saying to somebody listening to me somewhere, don't worry. You can be president even if you don't have money. Let's bow our heads. It's a sign of faith that we're not concerned about tomorrow. We're not worried. That free life, that careless living. As if, when they tell you global warming, what will happen to your children? Don't worry. When God says enough warming for the globe, you know what will happen? It will blow on it. It will cool over. I hope you get my point. You know how easy it is for God to cool the whole globe? It will just blow. Now, give a lot of thanks because you recognize that. That your life indeed is in his hands. I think we should take some moments to appreciate that. Your life is in his hands. Take some moments to appreciate that. Take some moments to appreciate. Just tell the Lord, thank you. There's no need to worry. Say to the Lord, now I reject worry. I reject long-term planning. You need to do that. And some people will be afraid to say it, but I want you to say it. I reject this long-term planning. I don't even know what 2023 will bring. How can I plan concerning it? There were companies who planned abroad and Brexit then happened. Ended all their plans. Ended the plans. They planned and planned. Brexit ended it. There were those who planned. The annulment of June 12th ended their plans. That's in Nigeria. Government will just wake up and make a new decree. That's it. Plans have ended. Donald Trump does this wrote in his book, Out of the Deal. A simple legislation, change of the laws, made him poor. He became a debtor owing, I think, is it two or four billion dollars? A simple rule was changed. Just a law. A law was rewritten. So just recognize it. You can't plan. So those plans you have, let me give you the opportunity to throw them away now. Those long-term plans. Those long-term plans you had for yourself, for your children, just throw them away now. So people will not agree with what I'm saying. That's your problem. But I'm giving the word of the Lord to those who will agree. Throw them away so that God's plan can come to pass in your life, in the life of your children. They are those who, they are not eating well today. They are not living well because they are gathering money so that children can go and do masters somewhere far away. Because <laughs> you have not even helped other children get first degree. Who told you the masters? The amount of effort you put into something shows the amount of faith you have in it. There are monies people have saved. God said, listen, go and buy another car. You have money to buy a car. It's just that your faith is in your long-term plans. Go and buy another car. Enjoy yourself today. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Come on, you, these children you are saving money for, you've not bought them new clothes in a while. You've not even taken them to the mall and say, please, go and shop till you are happy. And say, you know, it's their future I'm saving for. Nonsense. Are taking the responsibility away from God. He says, sufficient unto the day is evil thereof. Give him that tomorrow and enjoy today for goodness sake. With the Lord, whether you are rich physically or poor, means nothing. 
I like the story of Ben Carson's mother. Ben Carson has a little boy. I think it was like seven or eight. Something between six and ten. Not up to ten. He said to the mother, this was a single woman. A young woman. She was in her twenties too. Not more than, if I'm mistaken, no, she was in her twenties. Because she married as a teenager, I remember. They had two boys. So, if Ben Carson was that young, the mother was also in her late twenties thereabout. Didn't have money. The boy said to the mother, do you think I can become a doctor so I can become a medical missionary? The woman said, you can become anything. All we need to do is ask God for it. And he became a world-renowned neurosurgeon. Just give the Lord thanks. Like I said, nothing wrong with long-term desires. I said that earlier. Nothing wrong with it. It's the plans that have a problem. It's the plans. What should you do? Strategize today for faithfulness. Ask the Lord, help me to be faithful. If you're a parent, ask the Lord, help me to teach my children faithfulness. That is how to... Oh God, go and listen to our series, How to Bless Your Children. Please. Why am I just talking about that today? I believe some people are listening to me remotely, most likely. They need to know this. You've been worried needlessly about your children. Give them to the Lord. When they ask you, what well, say, I don't know. Say, they are in secondary school, let them read. I bought them good books, let them be reading it. Let them know the book very well. What about the, the day of jamba? I will know what to feel. <laughs> Leave it. The day time to feel jam, I will... <laughs> This is my son, I can't it was Jam was being filled. When we finally agreed on the course he was put in there. It was already, at least the form, it wasn't something discussed two years before, or a year before, or six years before. No, it was, the form was already out. What do you have? Okay, let us talk. He said, I wanted to do this. I said, Have you considered this one? Okay. What about this? Okay, go and think about it. He came and said, Daddy, I think that's a nice suggestion. <laughs> oh, yeah, right in there. Don't worry. Don't worry. We will like to worry too much. What do you know? God loves those children more than you love them. What do you, why are you worrying your head? Say, what will happen in this country? Let me tell you the worst that will happen. Everybody will die. Ah, is that not the worst? And we all go to heaven. And heaven is real. Now, now that you have known the worst, please, can you just stop worrying? But let me tell you what will really happen. Their destiny will manifest it. Listen, let me tell you something about Nigeria. This is a prophetic word. God has collected enough faith and prayer from his remnants here that he has commanded peace upon this land. And that you will see in the name of Jesus. Every troublemaker, no matter the name you call yourself, you are going down. Yes. All the spiritual troublemakers, they are going down first. They are the cause of our problems. They are going down first. But peace will reign in the name of Jesus. But listen, wherever your children will be. Why am I talking about children children today? <laughs> your children will be taught of the Lord and great will be their peace. Hold that scripture. Grab it. You know, clench it as if you are holding something physically now. Say, I hold it. Like they say, say, I receive it. Say it, I receive it. My children will be taught of the Lord and great will be their peace. Say, I receive it. I receive it. I receive it. I receive it. I need you to say it. I receive it. And declare that, I give you at least seven times. Count on your fingers and say it at least seven times. My children will be taught of the Lord. Great will be their peace. My children will be taught of the Lord. And great will be their peace. That word peace is also prosperity. Don't forget it. That word peace is also prosperity. Say it a third time. My children, my offspring, they will be taught of the Lord. 
And great will be their peace. My children will be taught by the Lord. They will be taught righteousness and justice. They will be taught faithfulness. And great will be their peace and their prosperity. My children will be taught of the Lord. Great will be their peace. My children will be taught of the Lord. And great will be their peace. My children will be educated, raised, trained in righteousness and faithfulness and justice by the Lord himself. Their eyes will behold their teacher. They will hear a voice behind them saying, this is the way, walk in it. When they turn to the left or the right. And great will be their peace. Great will be their prosperity. Great will be their destiny. In the name of Jesus. Father, we give you thanks. Thank you for faith. True faith that we have in you. That's making us live freely today. We give you all the praise. In the name of Jesus we have prayed.